Thank you for joining us for this episode from AgriSafe Network. AgriSafe's mission is to support a growing network of trained agricultural health and safety professionals that assure access to preventative services for farm families and the agricultural community. National Farm Safety and Health Week 2021 was held from September 19th through the 25th. We hope that this episode helps you to improve the health and safety of the people who feed the world. Our presenter for today is Nisha Rose Davison. She is my colleague here at EgriSafe as the Public Health Program Director. She obtained a Bachelor of Science in Biological Sciences in 2002 and a Master's of Public Health in 2006 from Northern Illinois University. She also has gone through the agricultural medicine course focusing on rural occupational health and environmental health and safety. She has dedicated her career to health education and promotion to underserved and vulnerable communities. Uh, thank you very much, Nisha, for being here today. All right, that's a Friday afternoon for you. Good afternoon. I'm excited to be here and talk about this very important topic, zoonotic disease and pregnancy. We're taking a deeper dive um, because in previous months or years, we kind of did an overview of reproductive health risk. Um, before I begin, I want to acknowledge our funder, um, the Occupational Safety and Health Administration from the U.S. Department of Labor, and views reflected or policies reflected here do not, um, a mention of trade names is not an endorsement by the U.S. government, but we're very thankful to have funding from the Susan G. Harwood Training Grant. Today, we want to kind of cover a few objectives, define zoonotic disease, and identify various modes of transmission. Identify four significant zoonotic diseases affecting production ag population, particularly looking at our, our female population, and then discuss warning signs and symptoms of major zoonotic diseases, which have adverse effects for reproductive health, and locate a minimum of three educational resources to use in training for um, your um, future uh, training of the agricultural workforce. So according to the latest census we have, we know right now, I believe the 2022 census is in progress, but according to the last data we have, um, about uh, 1.2 million women have identified as uh, producers in the agricultural space. And that is really significant because it was an increase of roughly 27%. Um, and with that information, we know that it was just important to really talk about safety in agriculture from a woman's perspective, given that more women are actively participating um, in some of the physical duties associated with agriculture. Um, we also saw um, in regarding farm decision-making by in type of decision by sex of producer, um, I just wanted to highlight that about 55% um, of women are in this space um, working with livestock. So that could put them kind of directly in the realm of this conversation about protecting their re reproductive health and, and working safely around livestock. So I just wanted to point that out. Uh, in terms of prevalence of um, different uh, things that impact uh, farm women in their work, um, the National Institute for Occupational Safety is Health, uh, we call it NIOSH, lists a number of uh, women's safety and health issues related um, to the agricultural job. So 
first and maybe earlier in this week, we addressed acute and chronic pesticide exposures. I believe that was a theme of Thursday. Um, chronic bronchitis among non-smoking farm women is, is quite an issue. And then pregnancy-related risk, which is um, why we're doing this training and another, a number of other trainings that we offer. Also farm-related work injuries, especially around falls and um, injuries uh, regarding livestock. Uh, exposure to inhaled substances in the workplace, thinking about things like carbon monoxide poisoning and, and whatnot, and then other risk factors to female infertility. So um, we know that, you know, working in ag has significant um, safety-ish uh, concerns for women. So we wanted to make sure that we bring that to the forefront. And we, we bring this information to the forefront under the um, adaptation of total worker health. So whereas if you were in a maybe a traditional work environment, you may have a um, safety manager or human resources professional that's kind of talking to you about workplace safety and occupational risk. When you're working in agriculture on the farm or the ranch, you're pretty much your own operation. And you may not, you may have, you may or may not have that designated professional. So total farmer health is our way to address that. Um, knowing that where you live and work could impact your health. And so we talk about everything from your diet, your access to health care, um, your social engagement and activities, your finances, um, your everyday hazards, which would be your um, physical things, your chemicals and pesticides and um, you know, large machinery, equipment, uh, livestock, things of that nature kind of all fall under that category. But this um, image represents a lot of different aspects and how that impacts your health and your safety. Um, so that's kind of how we really approach the work that we do with all producers. So total farmer health. So today we're kind of talking about another mode of health, if you will, another concept, which is one health. And that's really where um, it's really collaborative, where you're looking at um, a transdisciplinary approach. So working with local, regional, and national and global levels around achieving optimal health. And so that's the interconnection between people, animals, plants, and their shared environment. Now, each of those, <laughs> each of those realms, uh, they have specialties that can kind of contribute to one another, especially when it comes to the health of individuals and the environment. Um, so One Health is really the concept of bringing all that together. So whereas maybe the, the, the um, topic of zoonotic disease and pregnancy may not be common, under One Health it is because we're looking at uh, cross collaboration and, and sharing of information and, and risk and factors that could impact health. So the basis of today is what is zoonotic disease? Um, the World Health Organization defines zoonosis and, and as diseases and infections that are naturally transmitted between vertebrate animals and humans. So things that can kind of um, be shared between animals and humans, that's very important to know. And these hosts or the things that are transferring these germs could be bacterial, viral, fungal, or parasitic. And so we're going to talk very specifically about those that impact pregnancy. So ways women work with animals in agriculture, uh, as, as mentioned earlier in the previous slide that mentioned statistics, uh, women have played a variety of roles in ag. Specifically, when looking at animals, they are usually the animal husbandry experts, so they're helping to um, birth and calve and take care and nurture those animals. 
Um, there are farmers and ranchers, there are veterinarians, there are veterinarian techs, um, and, and a, a number of others. But these are some of the main categories that women really play active roles. So we just felt that it was very important to kind of acknowledge that and then talk about what are some specific reproductive risks. So another reason we're kind of talking about this is because um, pregnancy really has an impact on the immune system. Um, a key component to the response of emerging infections is consideration of special populations, which includes pregnant women. Uh, successful pregnancy depends on the woman's uh, adaptation of her immune system to, toler to tolerate a genetically foreign fetus. So in order for that pregnancy to, to kind of um, thrive and prosper as it should, it requires kind of a weakening of the woman's immune system. So that's very important to know, which then leaves you open to a number of, um, of threats, if you will. So these immunologic sorry, changes may alter the susceptibility to and severity of infectious diseases in pregnant women. So again, your immune system is kind of compromised during this time where you could be susceptible to other infections and diseases. So pregnant women's altered responses to infectious diseases should be considered when planning a response to emerging infectious disease threats. And I would also say it should be considered um, during your pregnancy planning and adaptation of work, if at all possible. Um, so here is kind of our top threat list, not, not inclusive of everything. Uh, we know, for instance, that avian and swine flu, <laughs> flu in general is, uh, is a top consideration for, for pregnant women. Um, but these are, uh, and not that you can't get that as a zoonotic disease, but that wasn't kind of the focus of today. I really wanted to focus more on those um, more long-term uh, relationships with, uh, with, with livestock. And these are kind of um, some of the, the top um, infections and diseases that we wanted to cover today. And you'll see some commonalities across. Um, for one, you'll see that the majority of the ones listed on this slide are bacterial. Um, and I have um, bolded most of those, but list, listerosis is bacterial, but the way it's transmitted is really through undercooked food. So that's a little bit different. However, it was important enough that I wanted to mention it. And we're also gonna talk about toxoplasmosis, which I feel is one of the most commonly discussed um, zoonotic diseases when it comes to um, pregnant women. Um, so we're gonna kind of dig into this topic. And I also wanted to share that we're really, um, looking at, uh, again, those diseases that are highly contagious, uh, especially for women working with farm animals such as cows, pigs, goats, and sheep are gonna be some of our primary targets that we're talking about today if you're thinking about animal, um, animals associated with these diseases. So we're gonna dig right in. We have a lot of content to cover over the course of, I believe I highlight four or five um, we're going to kind of generally talk about that and then talk about occupational um, hazards, what's associated with um, transmission, how you treat it, and then prevention. So that's going to be a quick overview of, of each one of these diseases that we go through. So first up is brucellosis. Um, it is a, it's a worldwide distribution of this disease. And the interesting thing when I was looking into this one, uh, it's been a known cause of reproductive animal disease for 130 years. 
but it was neglected and neglected uh, from being considered emerging zoonotic threat for human reproductive health. Even though it's been an issue for animals for 130 years, we didn't quite recognize it as soon for human reproductive health. Um, this led to a classification of brucellosis by the World Health Organization as one of the top 10 neglected zoonosis, a group of diseases that simultaneously offer ongoing threats to human health and a source of perpetuation of poverty. Um, so very interesting. That was just an interesting fact. Um, so the disease is um, found in animals, um, recognized as a reproductive disease, often leading to abortion in animals in the middle to last trimester of gestation for sheep, goats, cattle, dogs, and pigs. Um, and then it follows by a bacterial colonization of the placenta. So just very interesting that again, it's, it had these effects um, in animals um, and there has been close connection with the animals and humans, but it really wasn't recognized um, for quite some time. Um, so just interesting to kind of read about the history of that. So in, um, in humans, it creates a flu-like illness. Again, it was neglected as a reproductive risk for humans. It's pathogenic and virulent, not only for the target species, but also for humans. And I mentioned kind of what's happening in the mid to last tri trimester of gestation for animals, and that's very similar in humans. Um, the species uh, that kind of list the species by uh, type of animal, so goat and sheep, pig, cattle, and dog are all carriers of this. So what does exposure look like for brucellosis? Um, you can be exposed by um, ingesting unpasteurized milk, dairy products, um, and exposure uh, to infected body fluids and tissues from said animals, mainly from the placenta of, of the animals that I've previously mentioned. Um, and maternal infection is very significant. It could lead to miscarriage during the first and second trimester of gestation. It could lead to preterm delivery and a vertical transmission to the fetus. Um, so just, just very, um, could be spread easily um, between uh, mother and fetus. Um, and I wanted to just kind of mention here, vertical transmission is defined as the passage of a disease causing agent or pathogen from the mother to the baby during the, pe during the period immediately before or after birth. Um, transmission may occur across the placenta, such uh, as in the breast milk or through direct contact during or after birth. So um, again, very, very infectious. So what are some of the occupational risks? How would one come in contact with this? So people in certain occupations or settings may face increased exposure to bacteria that cause brucellosis. Um, so again, those animal hus husbandry um, experts are farmers, um, oftentimes uh, farm spouses, um, slaughterhouse workers, meat packing employees, uh, veterinarians, laboratory workers, anyone working in very close proximity um, with farm animals would be could be exposed potentially to brucellosis. And so what are some of the signs and symptoms? What does this look like? Um, across the bacterial infections, there pretty much gonna be similar, so I apologize for the repetition uh, in advance. But fever, sweats, um, the latest general tiredness, um, anorexia, headache, um, pain in the muscles, joint and back, fatigue, uh, things like recurrent fevers and arthritis, 
uh, could be an immense swelling of uh, testicle and scrotum area, swelling of heart, endocarditis, my apologies, neuro neurologic symptoms in a, a, a small number of cases, chronic fatigue, depression, and swelling of the liver and spleen. So um, again, some short and long-term recurrent um, symptoms if it's not addressed early on. So how is this treated? Um, diagnosis is usually made by a doctor. Um, tests performed for, would be looking for bacteria from samples of the blood, bone marrow, and other bodily fluids. Uh, in addition to a blood test, uh, a, a blood test can also be formed to detect antibodies against the bacteria. Uh, once a diagnosis is made, a doctor could prescribe antibiotics, and I've mentioned in um, uh, on the other side of the right side of the screen, if you will, what those antibiotics are. It looks like doxycycline and rifampin are recommended in a combination of about a minimum of six to eight weeks to treat that bacterial infection. And there are special considerations if you're pregnant, which is really what we're covering today, allergic to those uh, antibiotics or suffer from a reduced or absent immune response. So if you are immunocompromised, uh, that's something you would definitely want to let your physician know. Um, depending on the time of the treatment and severity of illness, recovery could take anywhere from a few weeks to several months. So again, very serious infection. Um, death is rare um, and it occurs in no more than 2% of all cases, but that just shows you how serious uh, these conditions could be if it's left untreated for an extended period of time. And this information is from the Centers for Disease Control. And we have referenced all of that towards the end of the presentation in our references. Um, so prevention and protection, what's the best way to prevent uh, this infection? Uh, to be sure that you do not consume one undercooked meats, as the undercooked foods is, uh, could be a source for zoonotic disease, and, uh, ingesting of unpasteurized dairy products, including milk, cheese, and ice cream. Um, so you want to be sure that um, just in general, these are kind of more um, uh, maybe more associated than uh, what we're talking about from occupational exposures would be exposures from undercooked or un unpasteurized of food. So that is something to consider as well. It can be transmitted that way. Um, if you're working more closely with farm animals, if you will, we're kind of also really referring to um, occupational exposures as well. So how do you prevent that occupational exposure. Um, we, we all know the, the, the variety of things that um, workers face in an in a agricultural setting. They could be doing multiple tasks, you know, throughout the day, throughout the hour, could be coming in contact with a lot of different things. But primarily when you're working uh, closely with animals, uh, being sure to wear personal protective equipment, including rubber gloves, goggles, gowns, uh, aprons, um, wear eye protection, um, again, rubber latex gloves, especially when working with those animals. Avoid direct contact uh, with fluid, especially your bare skin, especially when working with the organs of animals. And wash hands, we know the importance over the last 19 months of the importance of washing your hands um, frequently with soap and warm water for at least 20 seconds or more. 
Um, and how do you do that? By washing your hands and singing happy birthday twice. Um, that's kind of how we can measure time. Um, drying your hands on a clean cloth is very important if you have disposable paper towels or refreshing that cloth, but be, it's, it's very important, especially when working with animals to make sure it's um, something that isn't, isn't used and dirty and could have um, other things kind of on there. So if you could have either a disposable or, you know, make sure you refresh that cloth, cloth frequently, especially when you're coming in contact with, with uh, bodily fluids. And then clean all tools uh, uh, and reusable uh, gloves with disinfectant. You could use things like bleach um, and follow the safety instructions on the product label for those um, various cleaning solutions. So you're going to hear this repeated at least three or four more times. So that's something good to take note of. So we're moving on to now um, chlamydiosis. It's called by, caused by another bacteria, um, chlamydiophilia. Uh, this bacteria can cause respiratory disease, eye infections, abortions in animals, and sometimes abortions in humans. So it's found worldwide. Um, who are the carriers? We're thinking about sheep, goats, and cats are most commonly affected. Exposure is uh, most likely to incur um, by ingestion after uh, unwashed hands come in contact with an ill animal, aerosol, contaminated dust, or splash from infected animal tissues. That's why it's important to have that personal protective equipment or even direct contact with mucous membranes. So touching your eye with contaminated hands. So it could spread very easily um, in that manner. Exposure, um, pregnant women should avoid contact with pregnant or aborting sheep or goats. Um, if that's a, a role that is commonly performed on your farm, if you're pregnant, if that cannot be reassigned, uh, well, it, if at all possible, reassigned. If not possible, um, using the proper personal protective equipment um, would be, you know, the, the second best bet. It's easier said than done to actually reassign when you're working for a small operation. So we do not discredit the difficulties in that. Um, Animal-associated chlamydiosis in humans can cause flu-like symptoms. So fever and body aches, headaches, reddened eyes and, and pneumonia. In severe cases, infection of the heart and kidney can even occur. Um, pregnant women that become infected can abort their baby. So it's very important to know that um, this, is, this is very serious. So when we're talking about, you know, taking the time to, to protect yourself with rubber aprons, with uh, rubber latex gloves, um, goggles, you know, kind of the whole thing, just protecting yourself from transmission of those fluids and mucus fluids, um, it's very important because it can lead to very detrimental effects for your pregnancy. So uh, prevention and protection against this. Um, bacteria can be killed when cleaning, um, through cleaning, disinfection, and heat. Uh, keep your footwear, your boots clean. Often, you know, it's, it's hard thinking about farm uh, operations. Sometimes you're living and working in the same place. So if you're coming in contact with um, some uh, 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 fluids uh, that may be infectious, uh, you know, keeping your footwear and your boots clean and disinfected, not um, walking, uh, you know, throughout the house from, from the barn and things like that. Clean and disinfect those pens when animals have birthed or aborted. 
and keep other animals in the herd and flock away from those areas. So more around the animal safety, but we also wanna make sure that we're looking at, at human safety as well. Uh, reduction in human disease is also closely parallels with reduction in animal disease. Um, so sometimes it's, it's hard for us to think about our own self-health when we're caring, especially when we're in those animal husbandry roles, uh, but it's important to think about um, your reduction in disease can also impact animals health and, and vice versa. So that, that's sometimes a, a great, great reminder there. So occupational prevention, again, this slide is being repeated. So um, especially when you're handling animal tissues, and this could be extended to thinking about hunters and animal herdsmen, um, protect yourself by wearing gloves, goggles, gowns, rubber aprons, eye protection, avoiding um, bare, uh, contact with bare skin. And why is that? because even the smallest nick or cut in your skin, you may not even realize that could transmit disease if it comes in contact with infected um, fluid. So very important to kind of cover up with gloves um, and not especially when you're dealing with or organs of an animal. Um, and, and then the importance of washing hands and cleaning and sterilizing those tools, uh, disinfecting those tools whenever possible between, uh, in between use. Uh, leptospirosis. So this bacteria infection is caused by leptospira and enterogens, bacterium. Millions of people are infected every year. Um, there are mild symptoms like influenza-like symptoms are very common. And you'll see that across, again, a lot of these bacterial infections that you're going to see kind of the list be very uh, common around um, some of the flu-like symptoms. So it could kind of feel like maybe a common cold or I'm coming down with the flu. Um, transmission happens between infected urine and blood from an infected uh, animal or, or damaged skin. Uh, animals uh, can carry um, and transmit leptospirosis, would include dogs, rodents, cattle, horses, and pigs. Um, so those are going to be the carriers there. A common transmission route for humans is getting urine or blood from that infected animal uh, on, on damaged skin. So again, cuts, tears, uh, open sores on the hands, that could, that could be a cause of infection. So even a tiny skin abrasion can be enough for the bacteria to get into the body and start an infection. It could also enter the body through mucous membranes. So think about your eyes, nose, mouth, and even genital areas. So um, making sure, you know, uh, hand, hand safe, hand um, cleanliness is very important. You don't want to transmit an infecting animal um, is often symptom-free and continue, and that's interesting, an infected animal is often symptom-free and can continue to excrete bacteria into the environment up to one year after if they're um, having this bacteria. So it could, it's very interesting how long that transmission can actually occur. Um, so this is kind of the common uh, folks uh, for occupational uh, exposure to this, so farmers, slaughterhouse workers, veterinarians, and animal caretakers, fish workers, and dairy farmers. Um, just for example, this list is not exhaustive, but these are some kind of common folks who would be um, impacted by a disease like that. And here are the symptoms associated. Um, high fever, headache, chills, mu muscle aches, vomiting, excuse me, even jaundice and yellowing of the skin and eyes, uh, red eyes as mentioned in the previous slide, abdominal pain, diarrhea, and rash. So you see how some of these 
things that are coming down, it could, it could feel just like a common cold. You could think it might be, uh, you know, some allergies or flu. Um, it could just, they're very, very subtle and similar to other things. So we have to be very um, careful in thinking about our exposures. And, and even if you're going to the doctor after feeling sick, mentioning the type of work that you do, that yes, I work in close contact with animals and these are the type of animals I work with because some physicians may not think to, to ask or associate that. Um, symptoms, again, can be mistaken for other diseases. Some infected persons have no symptoms at all. Um, the time between a person's exposure to uh, a contaminated source and becoming sick Sick could be anywhere from two days to four weeks. So you have a very long period of exposure. Um, illness usually begins abruptly with a fever and then some other symptoms. So it occurs, leptospirosis can occur in up to two phases. The first with the fever, chills, headache, um, muscle aches, vomiting, or diarrhea. Um, and it says the person or the patient may recover for a time but become ill again. That second phase could be very much more severe um, and it could lead to kidney or even um, uh, liver failure or even meningitis. Um, so just, just know that that um, exposure period can, can be quite long. Two days to four weeks is a very significant period of time. So treatment, bacterial uh, is treated with antibiotics um, such as uh, doxycycline and penicillin. Um, know what you're allergic to, um, which could, uh, should be given in very early course of the disease again, but that, that incubation period is two days to four weeks. So that is very, um, you know, hopefully you could get um, access to treatment early. Um, intravenous antibiotics may also be required for people with more severe symptoms. Um, and people, persons with symptoms suggestive of leptospirosis should contact your healthcare provider. And again, mentioning your symptoms, mentioning the type of work that you do and the type of exposures that you had could be important. And it's very difficult because again, these are very mild and flu-like symptoms. So you could, you could kind of pass it up thinking that it's, it's a common cold or flu when it can really be something more severe. Um, in terms of prevention and protection, um, I wanted to kind of mention this. This is kind of unique. Uh, from the uh, two other previously mentioned uh, bacterial diseases, the risk of acquiring leptospirosis can be greatly um, reduced by not swimming or wading in water that might be contaminated with animal urine or, or eliminating contact with potentially infected animals. Uh, contaminated flood rot waters pose a very high risk for infection of leptospirosis um, because that bacteria, it, it it's a bacterial disease, it occurs worldwide, and it can cause very serious um, injuries. So think about floodwaters. Uh, we have a, a resource that kind of talks about some of those exposures, but um, because of um, being in contaminated water with urine, you don't know what you're walking through. Uh, we've seen situations from floodwaters as a result of hurricanes and storms and other flooding. Um, but that could, that could be a, um, a potential exposure. So being very careful in, in those situations as much as possible. Um, protective and clothing and footwear should be worn um, if you're exposed to contaminated water or soil um, due to uh, recreational or job activities. So 
if you can prepare for it, um, this is a, a potential risk of exposure too, not directly from animals, but contaminated soil, contaminated water that has been uh, contaminated by urine, for example, could be a potential exposure. So I wanted to mention that. Uh, next up is Q fever. Uh, it's caused by uh, bacteria, Praxella brunetti, I hope I'm pronouncing that right, back from my microbiology days. Uh, this bacteria naturally infects some animals such as goats, sheep, and cattle. Um, and this bacteria is found in birth products. So we're thinking about birth products of the animal, placenta, animal, uh, amniotic fluid, uh, urine, feces, and even the milk of infected animals. Um, so people can get infected by breathing not only exposure from fluids, um, but by breathing in infected dust that has been contaminated by animal feces, milk, and their birth products. So, it, and I have a, a graphic that kind of shows this, how the, the life cycle can continue. Um, some people never get sick with Q fever. However, those who do usually, again, develop flu-like symptoms, including fevers, chills, fatigue, and muscle pain. So think about all of these and how their symptoms are subtle that you may not even recognize it. So that's why we wanted to identify it. Um, certain professions that increase risk for exposure would again be the common ones we mentioned previously, veterinarians, meat processing plant workers, dairy workers, livestock farmers, and even some researchers at facilities who are housing sheep and goats. So very important um, to, to know that, uh, what those exposures could be. So I really just like this image. I think I pulled it, yes, from the CDC um, transmission of Q fever, but it just, um, you see how it just is a great depiction of, of how it could be spread. So not only from, you know, directly birthing or milking or working um, with, you know, not having the proper personal protective equipment, but, you know, being able to breathe in, um, uh, so it's like animals spread the germ when they give birth. People who help animals give birth, such as farmers and veterinarians, have a higher chance of getting Q fever. Um, when can carry the barnyard dust mixed with Q fever germs for miles. So they get it's a, good, it's a good amount of traction. Uh, you may get sick when you breathe in this dust, even if you aren't around animals. So that, that's very, very interesting. And again, it produces flu-like symptoms. Um, so it may be hard to detect what's going on, why am I feeling this way? So I, I just love that image that kind of shows how it's potentially spread. <clears throat> For Q fever, these are kind of the lists, again, very common with the other bacterial, fever, fever, chills, sweat, tiredness or fatigue, headache, muscle aches, nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, um, even chest pain, stomach pain, weight loss, or a non-productive cough. Um, the illness typically develops about two to three weeks after being exposed to the bacteria. So that's a, a good amount of incubation time. Um, symptoms can be mild or severe. And again, while we're doing this presentation, women who are infected during pregnancy may be at risk for miscarriage, stillbirth, preterm delivery, or low infant birth weight. So very, very serious. Um, and again, not to scare you because there are, are things for, um, that you could do for prevention and as well as, as treatment. But we just want you to kind of be mindful of what those things could look like if an infection occurs. Um, most people who are sick with Q fever will recover without antibiotic treatment. Um, however, people who develop Q fever uh, disease within two weeks, um, uh, 
of a, there's an antibiotic is recommended if it's within two weeks of exposure and then chronic Q fever, it's life-threatening. Uh, it can recur, requires several months of antibiotic treatment and requires a combination of antibiotics. So um, if it's not, it can, it can kind of look like it's uh, going away, but can be um, re-triggered again, depending on the severity of the infection. <clears throat> Um, there are no Q fever vaccines available in the United States. Um, again, how do you reduce your risk? Avoiding contact with animals, especially while animals are giving birth. Again, that might be your job, so this may not be that practical. Um, so we'll talk about what occupational prevention looks like. Um, and then the animals don't necessarily appear sick. So that's important to know that they may be infected um, and, and not appear um, and not appear sick. Um, and you never want to consume raw milk or raw, or raw dairy products. Um, and then this just mentions a complication. If you're diagnosed with Q fever and have a history of heart valve disease, blood vessel abnormalities, or a weakened immune system, um, talk to your healthcare provider uh, about your risk of developing chronic Q fever. So your risks are higher if you have kind of compromised immunocompromised in any way and pregnancy is, is on that list. So this is again our, our thing for occupational prevention and protection because not working at animals, that may be your job. That may not be the most practical um, option for you. If, if, if it can be again reassigned uh, temporarily during this time period, great. But if that is not an option, what can you do? And it's all about um, you know, having the, the right personal protective equipment available for you at the right time in the right place. So having it where you need it, and that's kind of head to toe, rubber gloves, eye protection, um, avoiding contact with bare skin, especially with working with the uh, organs of an animal, washing your hands in warm soapy water for at least 20 seconds, um, and drying with a clean, dry, a clean cloth. And then cleaning um, tools, uh, including up to disinfection of tools um, in between use. So those are kind of your best bets for protection. And we'll be creating a resource to complement this slide that you have seen repeated so many times. Um, listerosis, this is uh, one that, uh, that I really wanted to mention, but the exposure and infection looks a little bit different. Uh, listerosis is a serious infection caused by eating food contaminated with listeria monocytogens. Um, an estimated 1,600 people can get listerosis each year and about 260 die. We would like it to be none. Uh, unfortunately, there is death associated with it. The infection is most likely to sicken pregnant women and their newborns, adults 65 and older, and people with uh, weakened immune systems. Um, the Center for Disease Control and Prevention estimates that listeria is the third leading cause of death from, food, from foodborne illness or food poisoning in the United States. So that is pretty high and pretty significant. And I wanted to just mention it, even though it's not quite work-related exposure, it's, it's, it's very significant. Um, other people outside of the, what I mentioned, pregnant, newborns, 65 and older and immunocompromised, um, can be infected with listeria, uh, but they will uh, rarely become seriously ill. And then this is just another um, kind of slide that just kind of reinforces the importance of listeria um, when you're pregnant. So 
So pregnant women are about 10 times more likely than other people to get a listeria infection. Um, and then depending on uh, other um, components like pregnant Hispanic women are 24 times more likely. And that's really, really interesting. I have to look up why that significant um, increase between 10 times and 24 times. Uh, pregnant women with listeria infection can also pass the infection to their unborn babies. Um, it can cause miscarriages, stillbirths, and preterm labor, and uh, even cause serious illness and, and even death in, in newborns. So very significant for pregnant women as well as newborns. So that's why we want to make sure that we mention that. So um, this is listerosis, and there it is, I found it. Um, this uh, listerosis can cause a variety of symptoms um, depending on the person and part of the body. So that was wrong, that says listeria, I'm sorry. Listeria can cause fever and diarrhea, um, similar to other foodborne germs. Um, so it's, it's just important to kind of know again, those flu-like common symptoms are, um, very, could be very hard to detect exactly what it is, but this is kind of from um, undercooked foods. Uh, symptoms in people with invasive listerosis, uh, meaning the bacteria has it can spread beyond the gut. Um, and, and that depends on whether the person is pregnant. And I think that kind of leads to the severity of disease. Pregnant women uh, typically experience only fever and other flu-like symptoms, such as fatigue and muscle aches. Uh, infections during pregnancy can lead, again, to miscarriage, stillbirth, preterm delivery, and other life-threatening infection of the newborn, so very important. Um, people other than pregnant women, because they can, we can all get sick from it, but um, those symptoms would look like headache, a stiff neck, confusion, loss of balance, convulsions, in addition to the fever and muscle aches. So um, those are kind of common signs and, and symptoms here. Uh, listerosis is, uh, I'm going to skip that slide there. Uh, listeria is a harmful germ that can hide in many foods. Um, outbreaks of listeria infections in the 1990s were primarily linked to deli meats and hot dogs. I know during pregnancy, um, doctors are usually pretty good about saying what foods to avoid during pregnancy to be cautious of. And they can also be linked to uh, dairy products and produce. Uh, investigations have traced recent outbreaks to soft cheeses, celery sprouts, cantaloupe, and ice cream. Um, I'm wondering if the exposure listed uh, with um, the Hispanic population, if that had to do with, uh, with food, um, dietary um, things. So I, I want to kind of look at that because that was pretty startling when I saw that the 24 times increase. Um, so you really want to kind of pay attention to uh, foods which are likely to contain listeria. CDC has a great site that talks about exposures and talks about, um, uh, you know, how to clean foods properly and things like that to avoid exposure to listeria. All right, and then the last and probably most common, we talked about uh, zoonotic disease uh, is toxoplasmosis or T-Gandhi. It's uh, parasitic in nature. Uh, toxoplasmosis is considered to be a leading cause of death attributed to foodborne illness in the United States. Uh, just checking my time there. More than 40 million men, women, and children in the U.S. can carry the toxoplasma parasite, 
um, but very few actually have symptoms because their immune system usually keeps the parasite from causing illness. So remember earlier in the presentation, we talked about um, the concerns of pregnancy and, and your immune system. So that's why it's very significant. Um, however, so women who are newly infected with toxo toxoplasma during or shortly before pregnancy and anyone else with a compromised uh, immune system should be aware that it has severe consequences. Um, it's, it's considered one of the most uh, neglected parasitic infections in the United States um, out of a group of five diseases that have been targeted by the CDC for public health action. So hopefully there will be more to come about this because of its, its unique danger. Uh, eating undercooked and contaminated meat, especially pork, lamb, or venison, or shellfish um, could lead to potential exposure. Accidental ingestion of undercooked or contaminated meat or shellfish after handling and not washing hands thoroughly. Um, toxo toxoplasma can be absorbed through um, intact skin. So remember we were talking about cuts or small abrasions, tiny cuts in the skin, and how that could lead to infection. This could actually be absorbed through intact skin. That's really interesting. Um, eating food that has been contaminated by knives or utensils and other foods that have had contact with raw contaminated meat or shellfish. Um, drinking water contaminated by Toxoplasma gondii. Um, accidentally swallowing the par parasite through contact with cat feces that contain Toxoplasma. So this is like a very, very common one. Um, not having uh, contact with cat litter boxes during pregnancy, that's kind of like the number one thing that I feel like is very commonly known. So cleaning a cat's litter box when the cat has shed toxoplasma in its feces uh, could, could also lead to exposure. Um, accidentally ingesting contaminated soil, um, not washing hands after gardening or eating unwashed fruits or vegetables could lead to exposure. Um, and then mother to child congenital transmission um, can lead. So these are kind of uh, just, just examples of exposure and transmission of, of that parasite. So what are the short, long and recurrent symptoms? Most people have no symptoms at all. Uh, some people have toxoplasmosis and they feel like they have the flu. So all of these have flu-like symptoms with swollen lift glands and muscle aches and pains that may last for a month or maybe even more. Uh, severe toxoplasmosis uh, cause, could cause damage to the brain, eyes, and other organs and develop acute infection. Um, most infants who are infected while still in the womb have no symptoms at birth, but they may develop symptoms later in life. Um, a small percentage of infected newborns have serious eye or brain damage at birth. Um, so again, very, very serious, and we wanted to make sure that we made mention to that. Um, in terms of treatment, talking to your healthcare provider, um, they may order, order a variety of blood tests specific for toxoplasmosis. Um, and the results of those tests can lead to determine how that will be, how the T. gondii infection can be treated, whether it's a recent more acute infection or, or something more long-term. Once the diagnosis is confirmed, um, there's a, you discuss with your health provider what that treatment looks like. Again, this is parasitic versus the other um, things we mentioned today were bacterial in nature. And an otherwise healthy person who is not pregnant treatment is usually not needed. Um, if symptoms occur, they typically go away within a few months. But for pregnant women or persons with weakened immune systems, 
um, medications are available to actually treat um, those symptoms. So this is kind of because it's a, a spectrum of um, undercooked foods, exposure to um, uh, not properly prepared foods. So this kind of gives a whole gamut. This list is a lot more uh, extensive than what we've seen for the other protection and prevention. So first and foremost is proper food preparation and handling. So cooking foods at safe temperatures, uh, following temperature, temperature guidelines for meats and poultry. So using possibly an internal meat thermometer, um, peeling and washing fruits and vegetables thoroughly before eating. Um, do not eat raw or undercooked uh, oysters, mussels, or clams that could be um, contaminated with toxoplasma that has washed into seawater. Um, so very important around food preparation is kind of number one category. Um, do not drink unpasteurized goat milk. Um, and then this is the proper um, cleaning, washing of cutting boards, dishes, uh, counters, utensils, hands uh, with soapy water after contact with raw meat, poultry, seafood, and other unwashed fr fruits and vegetables excuse me, uh, wear gloves when gardening uh, during any contact with soil or sand because it could be contaminated with cat feces. Um, wash hands with soap and water. Uh, and then the ensure the cat litter box is changed daily. This is an interesting fact. Toxoplasma parasite does not become infectious until one to five days after it is shed in the cat's feces. Um, so just, you know, going ahead and removing that immediately. Washing hands with soap and water after cleaning out a cat's litter box. And, um, and then just teaching these uh, important, um, just proper hand washing technique to children um, and everyone involved in, in the home. And what does proper hand washing look like? That was like number one in uh, the majority of the, the sections and, and topics that we covered. So that's one of the best things you could do to protect you and your family from getting sick, including zoonotic disease. So proper hand washing. And we also talked about proper personal protective equipment. So this is a list of key times to wash your hands. Um, many know these things, but it doesn't hurt to repeat them when we're talking about the issue of zoonotic disease because hand washing is kind of your safe, your, your safe star, the, the sure thing that you can bet on is, is, is clean, um, clean hands. And if, if, if soap and water is not available, um, you know, using an alcohol-based sanitizer if, if all possible. So before, before, during, and after preparing food, before and after eating food, uh, before and after caring, someone, caring for someone at home who is sick uh, with vomiting or diarrhea, um, before and after treating a cut or a wound, after using a toilet, after changing diapers or washing or cleaning a towel, a child, excuse me, who has used a toilet, after blowing your nose, coughing or sneezing. One thing about coughing and sneezing is trying not to do it into your hand, into your sleeve, into a tissue, and then washing your hands. So just etiquette on etiquette, if you will. After touching an animal, animal feed or animal waste. Um, after handling pet food or pet treats and after touching garbage. So just the key times. I uh, wish we had more time to talk about hand washing. I was very impressed uh, talking to a <clears throat> veterinarian student who was saying that they had a whole like lab session that talked about proper hand washing etiquette. So it's, you know, we're getting the, the, the easy version talking about 20 seconds, but it's a whole process in terms of, of hand washing and how important it is in the prevention of spreading disease. 
Um, just to kind of mention a few resources that we have available. This reproductive health resource talks about a number of other different exposures that we did not cover today, but this was kind of um, our first entry into the space. So this is a great resource. Uh, it will be available in the AgriSafe Learning Lab post-webinar. Um, on the front side, it kind of lists um, some five key areas, including zoonotic disease. On the back, it talks about personal protective uh, equipment uh, for working with pesticides. So you kind of get a two for one there, if you will. We also have a, a general overview about taking charge of your health. If you are a woman working in ag or working with women or managing women uh, who work in agriculture, there are gender differences and, and work-related injury exposures. We talked about reproductive health risks today, but there are a number of other ones due to physical um, uh, size and shape differences in strength between men and women. Um, so this tool kind of talks about some of those things and um, outlines uh, some, some gender differences, uh, exposure risk, um, and possible safety and health issues um, that could come about. It's a great, a great resource to have on hand just to make sure that you're keeping everyone safe. Um, this was all about zoonotic disease and pregnancy, but there are a number of other zoonotic diseases. About 75% that was on that pretest of emerging zoonotic diseases are zoonotic in nature. So there was a whole other category and things that we have not discussed and probably a couple of um, zoonotic diseases that we did not mention also today. So I wanted you to kind of know that that tool is available for a free download as well. Um, again, this presentation was sponsored by OSHA. You have a right to a safe and helpful workplace. You have a right to know what those threats are in the workplace. And if you ever have any concerns or feel that um, <clears throat> your employer isn't addressing those safety needs and there are great concerns, there is a whistle blower protective a protection program that is available. You have a right to uh, file a complaint at the number listed on the screen and a right to just know your rights and, and to be safe on the work site. Um, these are employee rights and responsibilities uh, for, for work in, in any industry, especially if you're um, in any industry, I'll just say that. And so you have a right to a safe and helpful workplace, a right to know about hazard chemicals, um, a right to have access to training and know what the safety concerns are and the right to file a complaint um, and be free from, from retaliation for exercising those safety rights. And that uh, pretty much concludes the presentation. We thank you for joining AgriSafe today. We are on social media, on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn, and even YouTube. Um, if you're looking for safety and health content, we have a lot of information to offer. And these uh, information and everything that we kind of put together is, is put together by a great team of, of caring individuals. And this is our team. Uh, my contact information is listed there as well. I can be reached at krose at agrisafe.org with any questions regarding this presentation or other matters. And as mentioned, we also have shared our references for this presentation. It was a lot of um, work done and a lot of articles that we pulled to kind of try to pull this information succinctly into a presentation. Um, and, and there's just so much more, but we thank you for your time and I welcome any questions. Absolutely, a lot of really interesting pieces uh, of this. I love this focus on, on pregnancy and zoonotic diseases. That's uh, an area that we have recognized needs more attention. So thank you for doing the work of bringing this into one place. 
The AgriSafe team would like to thank you for listening to this episode. We hope that you learned something new. We would also like to thank our National Farm Safety and Health Week sponsors for making all this possible. The 2021 National Farm Safety Health Week sponsors are the Ag Health Central State Center for Agricultural Safety and Health, High Plains Intermountain Center for Agricultural Health and Safety, the Northeast Center for Occupational Health and Safety, and the Southwest Center for Agricultural Health, Injury Prevention, and Education. We appreciate these organizations' generosity and dedication in helping us to make the National Farm Safety and Health Week webinars possible. To access the resources and full recording of this webinar, please visit AgriSafe Learning Lab, which can be found at agrisafe.org.